Hello and welcome to episode 677 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR and we are coming off of a, we're on to the playoffs in best ball kind of week. Yes, that's right. I know we haven't talked much about best ball over the last three months, which honestly feels a bit weird because we all love best ball so much at ETR. It really does consume us for a lot of the summer. I personally love the strategy of it. I love the player take aspect of it. I love that I don't have to worry about it during the season. I love that it keeps me in tune with how the market perceives players throughout the summer, forces me to make stands on players all summer. And on top of that, a lot of times it's really good action. So yeah, I can't wait for best ball summer next year, but as best ball playoffs approach here in week 15, I wanted to talk about a few things best ball related that have been on my mind. So the first one is advance rate. So I advanced 15 out of 59 best ball teams on DraftKings for 25.4%. All of those were top two out of 12 advanced. So average is around 16.6%. I got 25.4%. Feel pretty good about that. I advanced six out of 16 on underdog for 37.5%. Note that one of those was a 250 buy-in where four out of the top 12. Top four out of 12 advance. And then drafters is regular season only, no playoffs. I did two in the 250 there. One is cashing solidly right now, but I don't think I can win it. I want to be clear on a couple of things around advance rate. Advance rate is not, I think, not the most important stat. Yeah, getting a min cash is great, but most of these tournaments are so, so top heavy. Teams that are built to win tournaments, a lot of correlation, a lot of stacking, their advance rate may not be as good, but they might actually have better teams positioned to actually win it, you know, hopefully. So yeah, I, I just want to be clear that advance rate isn't everything. Second point, a lot of people asked me why I played so much more on DraftKings than underdog. It's really just two things. First, I prefer 20 rounds to 18 rounds by a massive margin. I just think it's better for people who are really grinding their cock to a nub. You have to be off like when you add those two extra rounds at the end, you have to be on top of an extra 20 to 40 more players. You have to understand team construction better, I think. You can do more creative constructions in 20-man rosters. You know, I had teams on DraftKings where I took three tight ends with my final three picks. You know, things like that are not as viable when you only have 18 rounds. And so, for example, like on DraftKings, I got a ton of Tank Dell, a little bit of Puka Nakua, a ton of Trey McBride. On underdog, it's just harder to take those guys over the summer because it's only 18 rounds. Second reason I played more on DraftKings than underdog was I'm not really into lottos. You know, I'm not really into lottery style, DFS, best ball. I barely played underdogs, best ball mania, or DraftKings, $10 millimaker. It's just not really my style. You know, I, I want to actually realize my equity at a reasonable rate. I think I have a real edge in best ball. But even if I'm the best in the world, realizing my equity against hundreds of thousands of other entries is just incredibly unlikely. You know, you have to play 10,000 years of lottos to smooth it out. I'm only going to live to see a fraction of that. You know, now maybe I shouldn't say this stuff because Karain won the BBM lotto last year. Herzig won the first one. But yeah, just for me personally, I prefer to play mid slash high stakes, smaller um, smaller leagues, 
you know, in the playoffs, one out of six advance and some of the high stakes stuff on both underdog and DraftKings. And DraftKings was posting more of those. You know, they were posting hundreds, 150s, 333s, 555s that were going off all summer. So yeah, that's really the only reason I ended up with so many more DraftKings drafts. It's not a big thing, you know, just my preference on the extra round scoring system and mid slash high stakes offerings. I, I guess the other thing about lottos is I'm just sick and I think about everything through an hourly lens, you know? I probably shouldn't think about it the same way for these small buy-in massive first place things like the DraftKings Millionaire or the uh, Underdog BBM. But yeah, like in BBM, it's a $25 buy-in. I think I'm probably making 10 to 20% in EV. So on a $25 buy-in, I'm every time I do a draft, I'm making $2.50 or $5 and the drafts take 45 minutes to an hour. I mean, that's just brutal, you know? After a long day of working, playing tennis, dealing with the kids. When I sit down to do a best ball draft, I, I really want to focus and make it worthwhile. You know, I don't necessarily recommend anyone or everyone thinking like me, you know, I'm just sick. Clearly these small buy-in high payout at the top tournaments are softer, right? You get softer competition in them. So, you know, I, I'm not saying everyone should play with me. I'm just trying to play like me. I'm just saying that's the way I think about it. And I guess the last thing I would say is I think I just understand DraftKings strategy better than I feel about my underdog strategy. I talked about it in the article going over the win I had last year in the 3-3-3, but so many people on DraftKings are overvaluing rushing quarterback in best ball and, and overvaluing running backs. I mean, the 300-yard passing bonus, full PPR definitely changes a ton. Third thing I'd say about best ball, just trying to think through the season, is the health stuff. I don't really think there's any way around all the health and injury. This was a terrible, terrible year for injuries in fantasy football, especially at quarterback, but really at all positions. I don't really think there's much or any strategy involved. People say, hey, you know, maybe I'll take four quarterbacks in every draft next year to ensure that I have one by the end. I mean, I really, really don't think that's right. I think using late round picks on skill position players specifically running back and wide receiver is right because you access such bigger ceilings. Like you don't want to cap your ability to hit on a Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, Zach Moss, Trey McBride, Tank Dell, Adam Thielen, because you're playing scared and you want four quarterbacks. You know, I have no idea who's going to be those late round guys that hit. I obviously missed a ton. I missed on a ton of them this year that I was taking, but I have some educated guesses every year and some of them hit. I just think that it's not my fourth quarterback or my fourth tight end that ends up being a difference maker from a ceiling perspective. It's hitting big again on someone like Puka or Kyron or McBride or Dell, et cetera. So look, it is what it is at this point. If you're in the playoffs with 80% or more of your team healthy and playing with a decent role, you're mega live, like mega, mega live because there are so many teams out there, even in the playoffs that are down to 10 12, 14 healthy players on an 18 or 20 man roster. And to keep advancing through weeks 15, 16, 17 in these playoffs, which is really hard, the best way to do it, I think, is to have some guys dud and you're able to survive that. And they hit later. In other words, let's say you have Mike Evans. If Mike Evans airballs in week 15, but you still survive and advance because your team has a ton of depth due to your health, well, a ton of other Mike Evans teams will be out. 
So in week 16, you're one of the only ones that has Mike Evans. He goes off. He could be the key to you advancing week 16, you know, hopefully. So yeah, I mean, health is a massive, massive part of best ball. There's just no way around it. So hopefully you guys have good advance rates with healthy teams and get a good run out over the next few weeks. I will personally be praying to the best ball gods as well. As for DFS this past week, I put seven entries in the FanDuel 250, my favorite tournament of the year, that fan championship they have one time a year. Only cashed one out of the seven. It was a pretty good Lamar team, but never really threatened the true top. Pretty frustrating. Um, You know, one thought that I had was thinking about how much price fuels chalk in today's DFS. Everyone is so price sensitive now in DFS. Everyone is using projections. Value, if Drake London was 5,200 on DraftKings, no one would have played him. But at 4,600, he was massive chalk in cash and in tournaments. And he goes out and hits for his biggest game of the season. I'm not really sure what the takeaways are on this, other than reiterating that when people say, oh, Adam, the chalk is hitting at such a high rate. A, I don't know that's true. Second, I mean, look, if if London was 5,200 and Josh Downs was 4,600 this past week, Downs would have been mega chalk and failed. So look, just something to keep in mind. I think, you know, slight overpays in tournaments can get a lot of leverage. On that thought, the Zach Moss stuff. So look, you know, given that usage that Moss has had the last two weeks at the running back position, I'm like 100% certain he was the right play. You know, if that 10-yard touchdown doesn't get called back on a ticky-tack call, no one is bitching about Moss. I think it's just a reminder that the NFL is so small sample, so volatile. Moss went from playing as if he's one of the best running backs in the league to shitting the bed the last two weeks. I think people who are losing their minds over Zach Moss's lack of output, while it's incredibly frustrating, I get that. It's what makes NFL fantasy and NFL DFS so great. Literally, any player can fail at any time. And that's all part of the game. Oh, I, I know this is off topic, but hopefully you guys saw the video we did off of the lady who went on CNBC who blamed the spike in male virginity and a looming housing crisis on fantasy slash betting. It was so, so, so good. And the video that we did was one of my favorite videos we've ever done. If you go back to my Twitter, December 7th, you can find the video. I mean, you have to watch this. It's just funny to me because I've been joking for roughly a decade that, you know, we're all virgins and we grind spreadsheets rather than the sex. And it was really all just jokes, you know. Then this woman gets on CNBC and basically says all my jokes seriously about virgins. I mean, just incredible, man. I mean, the sim is so broke. Just unplug it and plug it back in, please. Oh, one other random note from this past week that was on my mind. So Sunday morning, Amico uh, noted in our props discord that there was a 10 to 1 Jordan Mason anytime TD and a 40 to 1 parlay available on Mason anytime TD and Mason to score the last touchdown. To me, this kind of stuff is where the biggest edge is on books. They have so many markets to cover, so many players. I mean, they're listing lines for Alec Ingold and Jordan Mason. I mean, these guys are sick. I couldn't fathom running a book, you have 5,000 strong lines. But if the 5,000 first line is off, you know, you can get crushed. 
It just seems so stressful. Like, I'm not even sure that they knew Eli Mitchell was out. And obviously with the 49ers, 14 to 15 point favorites, Mason was likely to be in the game. You know, certainly got lucky to hit as CMC was tired after a 72 yard run on the opening play. But yeah, the whole idea is that books can't cover all the ground they're trying to cover. And that's one reason there's so much limiting and so many limits on these markets. It's hard for books to feel good about every market, you know, but if you have a clean account, there's definitely some opportunities in that stuff, not in sides and totals, but in stuff like the Mason stuff I just described. Which brings me to my reminder of this week, which is on the ESPN bet promo. If you've never had an ESPN bet account and sign up with promo code ETR, they will give you five $50 bonus bets, aka free bets. All you have to do to get them is deposit at least $10 and make a bet of at least $1. That's it. Pretty absurd deal. I don't bonus whore nearly as much as I should. I've talked about this on the solo before, but I did do this ESPN bet one and it worked well. So again, promo code ETR at ESPN bet, really good deal. Very low risk. All right, enough is enough. It is time for everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. Right. Appreciate the questions from everyone going to do six today. Question one was from a ton of people, you know, at least 20 people asked me this and they all said something along the lines of you glossed over the firing of your wife on last week's solo pod. We need the full story here. So yeah, I, I realized that I left you guys hanging last week with that one. It was not my intention. Um, basically, when we first started ETR, this was around June or July of 2019, we were just doing everything ourselves, including customer support. And it was pretty overwhelming and distracting in August and September, you know, getting 20 to 100 emails a day. Really hard to keep up because we were trying to also do content and marketing and hiring and website stuff and a zillion other things. So I thought, yeah, I'll get my wife to help. You know, it won't cost us anything. We're bootstrapping, you know, she really wants to help. Easy game. But what happened was a disaster because I got even more stressed. She knows nothing about football, fantasy football, website stuff, the way the site worked, all these questions people were asking. And it's not her fault, you know? Why would she know about any of that stuff? But basically, she would have to like sit in the office with me and ask me a ton of questions as she rolled through these emails. And that created two problems. One, I was just losing so much time to this stuff, which is massively negative EV. You know, I need to spend time on actual content and projections and whatever else. And two, when she asked questions, I got worried she was just kind of out there mashing buttons and doing wild things in the back end of the site, which would send my blood pressure to the moon. You know, I just have a really hard time when things aren't super organized and working cleanly. So after maybe two to three weeks of her being on the customer service, I, I just knew this couldn't continue. Call her down to my office in the basement. I say, look, you know, we've been talking and you're doing a great job, but we'd like to move you from the customer service team to the head of our merch team. Of course, at the time we didn't have any merch, but alas, you know, and anyways, you know, she's not an idiot. She saw right through it. Immediately she said, wait, are you firing me? And I said, well, you don't get paid. So I'm not sure the term firing 
necessarily applies here. You know, it's like that Seinfeld. I believe it's season eight, The Bizarro Jerry, just an all-time episode. But Kramer goes to use the bathroom randomly at some office. Someone mistakes him for a coworker and he just rides with it. You know, eventually the boss has to fire Kramer and he says, Kramer, I've been reviewing your work. Quite frankly, it stinks. There's just no way we could keep you on. And Kramer says, I don't really work here. And the boss says, that's what makes this so difficult. You know, very similar situation. So, so good. Anyways, she got over, you know, reasonably quickly. Shout out to our current customer support team who is awesome. Even though people can be demanding at times when talking to CS, our guys, Jackson, Josh, everyone else, they have de-stressed me on that stuff fully. So shout out to them. They crush. And um, we've also removed the workplace tension between me and my wife, you know, allowing me to get back on the hashtag team. So good stuff. Question two from Mauricio. Mauricio Hernandez. He says, Dear Adam, I know you are not so fond of the thread bros on Twitter, but what is your stance on the big booba thread ladies do your thing and cute booty thread ladies show me what you got threads? Love them? Hate them? Do you think they are a distraction for those of us grinding our cocks on Twitter looking for fantasy football info? Or is the distraction warranted given how much we grind our cocks to win in fantasy football? <laughs> Man, what a question, Mauricio. Uh, I have no issue with the thread bros. You know, I did a whole 10 to 15 minute deep dive on that a while ago on a solo can probably find it if you're interested. As for the quote unquote, big booba thread ladies do your thing. I got news for you, Mauricio. I have no idea what you're talking about. Zero. I mean, you guys know me. I'd always tell the truth. I'd have no problem telling you that. Yes, I've been perusing the cute booty thread ladies. Show me what you got threads but I have legit never even seen those. So the only thing that we've learned here today, Mauricio, is that something in your browsing history or likes or tweets you've hovered over for a significant amount of time or things you've said or products you've bought or tweets you've replied to, there's something there that's told Twitter's algorithm to show you big booba thread ladies. You know, I, for one, would never have such deplorable internet habits, of course. So look, you know, yes, Mauricio, you grind your cock all day to win a fantasy football. Yes, you deserve some distraction of whatever variety you may choose. But if you don't want that distraction, lists on Twitter, man. My God. I don't know how many times I can say it. Lists on Twitter, please. Question three from Sloth's, Sloth's Revenge. He says, what is your approach to bankroll management in DFS? Billy Walter's book talked about a max of one and a half percent of total bankroll on a single bet and playing more volume. Do you have any guidance for GP, GPP players that can't rely on volume of playing all DFS sports? Well, first thing I would say is that I don't think you can really compare sports betting to DFS. The edges in sports betting are way smaller. You know, professionals are aiming to hold 3% or so. In DFS, people can return 10 to 20% if you're really good. The difference is in volatility. If you are a tournament only DFS player, you could play well for an entire NFL season and lose easily, easily lose a lot. It's just so, so top heavy in tournaments, so much variance. So my point is that you need to be, you need a truly massive bankroll and need to be really strong mentally to be a full-blown, full-time DFS GPP bro. You know, I don't want to give any hard rules, but I know for me, I would want a very small percentage of my role if I'm playing GPP only, 
because I know myself. I feel like if I'm losing a lot of money, you know, over a few weeks, I'll just tilt or, or give up, you know? It's real easy to lose sight of, well, maybe I'm actually playing well, but DFS tournaments are insane variance. And that's part of the reason that I play cash, you know? I haven't played well a lot of weeks this year, but I'm still booking some wins and that goes a long way for my mental state. So anyway, I know that wasn't overly practical sloth, but uh, hope it helped. Question four from betting between the lines says rock, paper, scissors, which do you usually start with and why? Also, what does that say about you? Oh, you've come to the right place. I've actually played a ton of rock, paper, scissors in my life. Um, it was an event in those gambling Olympics I talked about last week. Also, when I lived near Bales in Philly, we would play rock, paper, scissors to decide everything, you know, who serves first in racquetball, who has to go to the bar to get beers. You know, we also did some DGen $100 a throw rock, paper, scissor battles. I'll just give some the way I think about rock, paper, scissors strategy a little bit. Basically, if you're playing a kid or a beginner, you know, someone who hasn't played very much, they might be a little nervous. Natural instinct of every human is basically to do nothing or most humans is basically do nothing. So on my very first throw, I'm throwing paper a ton, make them prove that they will move their hand away from the fist that you start the game with to something else. After that, a lot of people don't like to throw the same thing twice. Like, you know, you watch my kid, I play my kid, he almost never throws the same thing twice. They won't double up rock or double up scissors. But at the highest levels of the game, repeats are a must. I remember one game against Bales, I think I threw scissors eight or nine times in a row, you know, just trying to put his brain in a blender. Anyway, I think against kids, against beginners, there's an edge. Against other thoughtful people, I don't know that there's really an edge. Best bet against them, I think, is just to randomize, you know, completely random, avoid patterns, throw doubles and triples and quads at the same thing. Good luck out there. Green Tree says, uh, this is question five from Green Tree says, Adam, I play a five man against my friends every week. I win about 80% of the time to the point where my buddies are getting pissed at me. Should I keep my foot on the gas or ease off and let my friends win every once in a while? Yeah, you guys know I'm a hardo with this stuff, but it's just not in me to take my foot off the gas. You know, all I want to do is win, win at all costs. Now, look, if I'm playing something where someone is at a clear disadvantage that is out of their control, you know, let's say I'm playing Xbox against a blind person, or let's say I'm playing basketball against someone who weighs 80 pounds. Well, then fine. You know, maybe I take it easy, but there is no reason, zero reason your friends can't compete with you in DFS. They have access to all the same information and tools and projections, whatever they want. They likely just don't want to put in the work or the effort, or maybe they can't see the game as well as you do. And for that, in my opinion, they should be punished to the max. No mercy whatsoever. You know, DFS is not like the NBA where you have to be six foot five and the most insane athlete on the planet to make it. The DFS streets are open to anyone at all. There are no thresholds. There's no requirements you have to be born with. And to me, that's what makes poker and DFS so great. You show up with money. You don't need anything else except your wits, your brain. That's it. All right, question six. Last question we're going to do today comes from Jim. He says, is there a crowdsource guide of ETR Virgin's guide to Vegas for subscribers? I keep getting questions like this about Vegas, which I'm actually surprised by. You know, when I was much younger, 
Vegas was awesome and exciting because it was one of basically two places in the entire country you could really gamble. You know, Atlantic City and Vegas. And AC is, was a stone cold shithole. So going to Vegas was something special. But now, I mean, my God, there are casinos in seemingly every town, around every city, everywhere, you know, outside Chicago and Philly, outside Denver, Boston, outside New York City and in Jersey. Casinos are just ubiquitous now. So actually gambling, like physically gambling, poker, betting on sports, whatever, you don't really need to go to Vegas to do that. To me, the reason to go to Vegas these days isn't for gambling, it's for the experience, you know? The food is legit awesome. There is a crazy party scene, obviously. There's a crazy shady scene, obviously. I'm not the right guy to ask about all that stuff, but I bet if you just go in the general channel in Discord, the ETR Discord, you'll get a ton of good recommendations. I'd personally recommend Super Frico for dinner slash experience. I would recommend hiking in Red Rock Canyon. I would eat somewhere authentic off the strip, like the original Lotus of Siam maybe, but... Oh yeah, my other advice would be basically avoid interaction with anyone trying to give you something or sell you something while you're on the strip. They're all just trying to fuck you, trying to scam you, you know, figuratively or literally. So yeah, good luck out there, Jim. All right, that is going to do it for this week's solo pod. We'll be back with Sam for waivers. Going to be likely the last waiver show as we hit the season-long playoffs. And then back with Silva for team by team. Team by team will continue to run through the NFL playoffs. Of course, you can find these shows on YouTube as well. Subscribe there. It is indeed free. For producer Luke, for Jerry, the most beautiful beast in the world, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.